Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This election, Chicago voters are casting a ballot on much more than the president of the United States. Some of the races we will be voting on include the Cook County State's attorney, over 60 judges, our water reclamation district commissioners, and changes to our taxes. With all of these races, candidates, and issues, casting an informed ballot can seem like a challenge. But Chicago Votes, a nonpartisan organization, is here to provide you with information on the candidates and issues on the ballot. Their 2020 voter guide is available digitally at chicagovotes.com and chicagoreader.com. Pull it up on your laptop. Take it with you into the voting booth on your phone and feel confident in knowing who and what you are voting for. ChicagoVotes.com. Benny J, take it away. Uh, when I heard that today was the day that uh, Alderman Lori Lightfoot, Alderman Lori, boy, what am I thinking about? All that refresh smoked in the 70s. Let me rewind that. <laughs> Mayor Lori Lightfoot, I was giving her budget address. Sorry, uh, Mayor Lightfoot. Uh, when Mayor Lori Lightfoot was giving her budget address, I said, you know what? I got to bring out a voice of independence in the Chicago City Council. I got to put on an alderman who's not afraid uh, to speak uh, his mind with his thoughts about uh, the mayor's budget. In the old days, I'm probably going to turn it up, uh, over to my good friend from the 32nd Ward, Alderman Scotty Weigersmack. Uh, but uh, Scott's in a different position these days. He's, he's uh, the head of the finance chair committee, so uh, maybe not as much independence as in the past. Instead, I'm turning over uh, to the uh, Alderman of the 15th Ward, a frequent guest on our show, good friend of the show, I'm happy to say, Alderman Raymond Lopez. Thank Raymond, you. welcome back to the show. Good evening. How are you to you and your listeners? I'm doing well. I appreciate you coming on the show. I want to say this. I told you this before. I'm going to say this again. A very good friend of the show. And the last time he was on, we had a drinking game. And I, every time I said, well, Alderman, I don't agree with you. Someone had to take a shot. We'll see today. We'll go with the other. Every time I, you say something I agree with, I'll say, you know, Alderman, I agree with you. People will, will be taking a shot with this budget. I got a feeling people will be drunk by the time uh, we're done with this. Uh, so we're going to start. What's that? I hope they have their six pack ready because we might be in trouble this, this podcast. Uh, all right. So why don't we uh, start? Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to play excerpts from uh, uh, Mayor Lightfoot's budget speech uh, that she gave today. And then I'll turn things over uh, to Alderman Lopez, get his thoughts, and we'll uh, exchange a few ideas. So, Dennis, just play them in the order uh, that we played them in the regular show. This is total improv, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Alderman Lopez and I don't even know exactly what's coming. So uh, we'll just go with uh, excerpt number one. All right. I think I'm going to start with that uh, boxing reference you kept talking about uh, on today's show. Will that work? Oh, sure. That sounds great. All right. Here we go. And over the course of this very tough year, we have been on the ropes and the referee has started the 10 count a couple of times. But like Barney Ross, the 1930s fighter who grew up in the Maxwell Street neighborhood, we have gotten back up, legs stronger, steely focus and resolve to fight on. 
I had fun with this one, uh, Alderman Lopez, because I know I'm the only person in the city of Chicago who knows who the hell Barney Ross is. And I'm stunned that Mayor Lightfoot could uh, dredge up a name from the 1930s. But the larger point is she's trying uh, to signify that the city of Chicago is resolute. Uh, This is a theme that all mayors like to do uh, when they start a budget address to say we're all in it together and the city is stronger than you would think. Uh, Do you share her sense of confidence uh, about uh, where Chicago is right now, Alderman? Well, I do share the sentiment that Chicago is can get up, that we're not down for the count just yet. Um, I'm glad she didn't reference MTV's celebrity death match as our <laughs> budget process, uh, which I think would probably be more apropos at this point. But, you know, I, I never lose faith in Chicago, and we're not out yet. Um, you know, 1930s, I think the only alderman around was Ed Burke for that reference, so I guess we'll just have to see what he has to say on it. Um, but... Uh, Yes, we're not down yet. All right. Uh, and uh, did you know who Barney Ross is? I'm just it's fine to say you don't know who he is because I'm sure most people do had no idea who Barney. Had you ever heard of him before you heard that? Did not. I don't even know if my family was in this country when he was. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's an ancient reference, Lori Life. But all right, D, play another one, and uh, I'm sure it'll be more substantive about what she intends to do. And in presenting our balance 2021 budget. This budget projects $262.6 million in improved fiscal management. This category of savings includes additional parking meters, better management of accounts receivable, enhanced enforcement of certain fees, and loss of collection savings. As for efficiencies, we expect a total of $168.3 million flowing from non-personnel savings, a new renegotiated health care contract, and a contractual audit and review process. Through auditing work already in process, we've determined that the city literally has hundreds of contracts that are 10 years old or older. Some date back to the 1990s. In many instances, no one in recent memory has asked basic questions like, do we still need these contracts? Are we getting the best price? Or can we get a better deal by rebidding? These are literally hundreds of dollars in contracts locked up in what has effectively become hundreds of de facto sole source contracts in perpetuity, which also means that we are denying business opportunities to potential small, minority, and women-owned businesses. All right, this is a section of the speech, Alderman, that many mayors do. She's taking a page from Rahm and Daly, uh, where they talk about uh, the fiduciary wizardry of the brilliant auditors and uh, aides that they have in the budget department who are scanning that budget, looking through every page of that budget for every savings they can get, every contract that would be questionable so that they can protect the taxpayers of the city of Chicago. Uh, What's your general reaction uh, to this section of her speech? Well, I think if we go in order, when she said that $262.2 million in fiscal management efficiencies can be made in 2021, my immediate question is, what happened to 2020's budget? How did we let over a quarter of a billion dollars in inefficiencies be passed in last year's budget, the one that we're in right now? And the fact that she's highlighting new parking meters, which everyone, I think, categorically can agree suck. <laughs> um, you know, the mayor who said, you know, we're not going to nickel and dime and fee our way out of this. But now she wants enhanced enforcement to nickel and dime everybody in the neighborhoods. And <clears throat> those kind of things make me wonder, 
what kind of double speak are we talking about here? The one thing I will agree on with her is that we do have a number of contracts that are old that cost us way more money than we need to spend. A perfect example that I've been harping on for the past two years is a little one, but it, it highlights this problem that we have in that, you know, the city of Chicago's fire department gives away free smoke detectors. We're all used to that program. But the contract for the smoke detector uh, giveaway that CFD uses charges the city more than double what a smoke detector costs at Home Depot today. So we're paying double simply because someone's friend got a contract back in 1990-something or other. Um, and we're paying more for no other reason simply just because we've never questioned it. So I think that's a great start, but I don't think that we've squeezed the bloat out of this budget uh, anywhere near where we can do to make it more efficient for the taxpayers. That, that The first point you made is a valid one. Uh, and generally, you'll hear a mayor in the case of like Lori Lightfoot last year when she's in her first term and she wasn't the mayor the previous term. So she could talk about budget inefficiencies. And in that case, it would be blaming a uh, Rom. Rom did this. You weren't an alderman yet, but Rom in that first budget. Oh my God. He raked daily. Well, he's raking daily over the coals the whole time, blaming everything on daily, uh, forgetting of course that he supported him every time daily ran for uh, election, but that's a, a favorite tactic of a mayor, but it is a little unusual. I hadn't thought of that alderman. It is, it is a little unusual to hear the mayor talking about budget efficiencies that over her budget. Right. So, so I think that, I think that yeah. trucks went up to, I agree with you, Alderman Lopez. <laughs> Hold on. I'm taking a shot of my water. It's laced with vodka. Mm. How dry I am. All right. Uh, by the way, now let's, <laughs> that counts as I agree with all. Wait, Alderman, I got to ask you this and help us out here. Because one of our, when we talked about this uh, in the first, the, the live show today, one of our listeners wanted to know about this. So if they add parking meters, the revenue for the parking meters that they add goes to the private company. Speaking of stupid decisions, stupid contracts that the city agreed to the parking meter deal that what do we get out of that? What do we get the, uh, the, the city of Chicago, the taxpayers of Chicago get from adding parking meters? I think there's a cutoff where we can add where the revenue comes to us. But after that, it goes to them at a certain point. So there's a, I think there's a tactical reason why she announced that only a certain number of new meters are going to be installed. And it also could be, too, she may have to relocate meters because of all these streets being closed down downtown for these outdoor seatings. She has to come up with revenue sources to compensate LAZ for the lost revenue downtown. Ah, so in other words, we're not really bringing in uh, extra money. It's just that because we're adding meters to compensate for the ones we close, we don't have to pay the parking meter company. More than likely, yes. I see. So it's and then I guess now that I'm thinking about you talk about nickel and diming. If you put more meters in, that's more meters for people to violate. Hence, more tickets to write. And that's where the extra money could be coming in. Correct. As well, as well as in the neighborhoods, you know, she's talking enhanced enforcement. In my ward, that means ticketing people for parking in front of hydrants, parking in residential areas, things of that nature. So she's going to go citywide with that program. You know, when we came out of COVID, there were hundreds of thousands of cars that were boot eligible because Lightfoot was secretly still ticketing people without leaving them the ticket for what she considered, you know, public hazards. Um, so she might expound on that a little bit more as well to generate the revenue she needs, because truth be told, a $94 million property tax increase 
does not close a $1.2 billion hole. Uh, yes, we'll get to both uh, of those numbers. $1.2 billion deficit, uh, $94 million property tax increase. All right, Dee, play the next one. Another important but painful choice that we present in this budget is personnel reductions. I told you many times over these last weeks that everything had to be on the table. And I have struggled personally with the prospect of layoffs. And to minimize layoffs, we have leaned heavily on eliminating vacancies. Across all funds, we have reduced over 1,800 vacancies. All departments, including police and fire, gave something. This budget we are presenting today also contains layoffs of approximately 350 positions. And while we can't do nothing, hoping for an election forecast different, to be different, better days ahead, this budget assumes that no layoff notices will be issued until next year, and any layoffs won't be effective until March 1. This schedule will allow us to see if there is any new federal stimulus on the horizon. And we will continue to advocate vociferously for such a stimulus. This economic downturn has had a bipartisan impact, and there must be a bipartisan solution. So Congress, do your job. In addition to vacancies and layoffs, we are also seeking five furlough days from all non-union workers. And I will lead by example and take those five furlough days myself. All right. This is where she's dealing the very delicate issue of people losing their jobs or people getting pay cuts through furloughs. Uh, and she starts off uh, Alderman Lopez with a, another uh, a favorite. If you were ever mayor, if it was Mayor Lopez, you'd be doing the same thing. Trust me. Eliminating vacancies. Uh, help people out uh, with this one, Ray. Um, like, how does a vacancy if if there's if they didn't fill the vacancy, like why did you need the job in the first place? This is a question that people ask all the time. Well, I think once again, these this is one of those things that we have to look to 2020 and ask why did we pass a budget, or I should say, why did they pass a budget filled with vacancies? The 2020 budget, the one that we're in right now, had 3,143 vacant unfilled positions in it for over a year. And what that means is that we build taxpayers for over 3,000 jobs that we had no intention of filling at all. So we overcharged people over $213 million for the 2020 budget simply so that we could have those 3,000 vacancies in there. And what most mayors do and, and, and leaders do in this instance is that you use that vacant job for your cash flow as a cushion for when things go bad so that you can kind of keep the bills going because you already have that extra 200 million or so in the bank. Um, I advocated last budget, this one that we're in, to eliminate them all because I think that it would have saved and squeezed out the bloat that was there. And the fact that she's saying that, you know, she's taking out 1800 vacancies now in this budget is a good first step. But I want to know if there's still vacancies in this budget. And when we met with the budget director yesterday, we were told that this 2021 budget will still have almost a thousand vacant positions in it. Now, that means we are paying for a thousand jobs we have no intention of filling yet mm -hmm. again. Now, you also look at the layoff situation where she wants to lay off 350 people come March 1st. That again, too, 
you're going to charge the taxpayers for a full year salary for 350 people, but you're going to fire them after the first quarter and save all of their salaried money to pay your bills at the end of the year to cover whatever losses that you're not going to get. And while I know she's hoping to be stimulated by President Trump, federal government, um, I don't think that's going to happen next year. Well, okay, uh, let's break it down. First of all, that was a, a really good uh, recitation about the vacancy game. So if just just folks, I just cannot allow uh, what uh, Alderman Lopez said. It's just let's just go back to that. What they do is they have vacancies that in the budget that they have no intention of filling because money will be generated. Your property tax dollars will go up to pay those vacancies and then they could use the money for other things. So it's like a slush fund within the budget. And right. Rom did it. I'm not picking on Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Rom, she learned from Rom, who learned from Daly, who learned from his father. So this is a time-honored uh, operation by mayors. And um, so that's a very important point, uh, Alderman. Uh, the other thing is about the 350 vacancies. It seems like she's punting on that one, though, right? That like, she doesn't want to take the heat for firing the people. So she's hoping that the stimulus money will come in. I don't, I'm with you. If Donald Trump is reelected, I don't think there will be stimulus money. But she's hoping that Joe Biden is victorious and the Democrats take control of the Senate. Then there will be stimulus. Do you agree? I, I think that's what her goal is. So, yes, I, I think that. To your point, I agree with you. So chalk that one up. All right, hold on to vodka. <laughs> God, <laughs> go ahead. Yeah, but by the way, you agreed with me twice before. Jeez, <laughs> oh, I am correct. By the way, so uh, no, so I no, you're 100 percent correct. I mean, if you tell taxpayers you have to pay for 100 positions and you only fill fill 80, so that you could keep the 20 p other positions on the side for your own. Uh, purposes later down the road. You're not being truthful. You're not being transparent, honest. You're not shedding, shedding the light, so to speak, on what we're talking about. And you're asking people to pay all this extra when they could barely pay their own bills, where they can ba barely pay uh, for their own food and uh, electricity and their own taxes. And you're still telling them, we need more, we need more, and trust us, we've done everything when obviously we haven't. Uh, and your thoughts on furloughs? She says she's going to take uh, five furlough days as an example. What's your thoughts about that? You know, furlough days, I get it sounds nice, but they don't really amount to much. I think we're only talking about maybe not even a million dollars in savings from furlough days. There are more important ways and bigger ways to squeeze efficiency out of this out of this uh, government budget than a million dollars in furlough days. Do you think that uh, she's going to end up having to lay off those 350 workers? I think, I think that she will end up having to lay off those 350 and possibly even more. The question that we have to see is that when you're talking about workers, what kind of workers are we talking about? Are we talking about the multiple layers of redundancy in the mayor's $16 million budget? Are we actually talking about people who are out there picking up our garbage, trimming our trees and making sure our streetlights are on? You know, she actually in these vacancies, 650 of them are police officers, sworn officer positions in the police department that she's eliminating. 
And I don't know if that's one of your upcoming clips, but, you know, for a mayor who just got done saying, you know, I'm not going to defund the police, but I'm also going to wipe out 650 positions. You basically just took away the staffing of two different police districts in one fell swoop. That will be one of our upcoming clips. So uh, get ready to repeat uh, what you just said. And by the way, before we get to the next clip, let's let's talk about the concept of a balanced budget. Uh, and she's uh, at the outset of the speech, she called it a balanced budget. And again, she's not the first mayor to do this. Mayor Rahm, every budget he passed was balanced. Uh, mayor Daly, every budget he passed was balanced. Every Governor Pritzker's budget to balance. It's so, so funny. These budgets are are unbalanced within a month, but right. they're balanced. It's a game. It's a game that they play, right? I mean, right? honestly, it's a lie. You can't balance your budget if you're counting your credit cards as part of your income. And that's what city government has done for as long as I've been there. And it's a, a time-honored tradition all the way back to Richard M. Daly and even before then. Borrowing to cover what you're spending is not balanced. Yeah. Balanced is if I make $100 in taxes, I spend $100 in programs. That's it. That's balanced. But if I have to have $100 in loans to go with my $100 in taxes to claim $200 in spending, that's not balanced because yeah. somewhere down the road, down the line, some other generation like me in this case will have to make the decision on how to cover those bills. And it will be painful when that time comes. Yes. It'll be a combination of tax hikes and uh, layoffs. Or if you're lucky, the economy will expand it. That's the other thing she's hoping for. Obviously, that COVID will not last forever uh, and that the economy will take a rebound. Um, all right, D, play the next one. I have been very clear that I do not support defunding the police. And while this term means different things to different people, in this moment, in Chicago, we cannot responsibly enact any policies that make communities less safe. Yes, agree that the police cannot be the first and only responders on every call uh, for help from our residents. That is precisely why, in 2021, we will launch a pilot program born of real research from subject matter experts that looks at a co-responder model and starts the process of building the infrastructure for alternative means of response. But to be clear, this is hard work and it must be tested and built over time. There are no magic wands to wave, no snapping of fingers or catchy slogans, and whatever course we take must be tested on the streets of Chicago and must be built to address our urban realities. I also reject the false narrative that it either fund the police or fund communities. We must and can do both. All right. General reaction, Alderman Lopez. I mean, it sounds good, but she's basically full of it. I mean, you know, you can't say you're going to not defund police and then take away the officers that make up the police department. Six hundred and forty five officers are the equivalent of two of the police districts total compliment that served my ward and to say that we're not going to hire them because we, ca we can't or don't want to or we don't have the training space uh, is a direct contradiction in and of itself. You know, I do believe that we have to find other models to address some of the mental health issues and, and the less lethal situations our police officers deal with and I'm glad that she's focusing on that. But when you say things like we have to create models that are built on the streets and listen to experts. We have plenty of people who have been fighting on the streets, addressing the issues of violence and retaliation for a long time. And what this administration has shown time and again is that it doesn't want to listen to the people in our own city, 
but it wants to listen to those eggheads from California, like Susan Lee, who she just fired, who've come up with all these bizarre models for what they think crime crime prevention will be like in the city of Chicago. Models that simply don't work. Models like using gangbangers during urban unrest to protect neighborhoods that only cause more chaos and shootings in communities. That is uh, Raymond Lopez speaking. I, I'm not quite sure we agree on everything there, so I'm not going to take a shot with, a shot of my water with you on that point, uh, but I don't want to belabor our differences on this. We did that the last time we were on the show, but I will say this. I, my bet is they never intended to hire those 600-plus police officers in the first place. That They're vacants because they wanted to draw on the money earmarked for those police officers so they could spend it in other aspects uh, of the uh, budget. So what I want to know is, uh, from a budgetary standpoint, are they really reducing uh, the amount of money that flows into government by getting rid of vacancies? Or are they just, is she sort of just saying, well, I have 600... <laughs> 50, and 50 vacancies, but I'm not going to do anything about it. You understand the distinction, Alderman? So, so the question is, when she said that she had a $1.2 billion deficit, does that mean she's by taking out these vacancies and addressing all these inefficiencies that our budget went down by $1.2 billion? Probably not. Yeah. We're probably still at the same spending level, just that the departments are getting less because what she hasn't mentioned is that our pension payment is almost equal to the entirety of the deficit if and that actually the tw- next year's budget, I'm already thinking ahead, mm-hmm. that deficit based on all of our current existing spending levels will be $1.5 billion next year yeah. because of our ramp up with pensions as they move forward. Well, and, and by the way, uh, uh, going back to the concept of defunding the police, what she's also doing is that she's sending a signal that she's more in to- to- tone with you, uh, Alderman Lopez, on the whole issue of defunding police than, uh, let's say, with Alderman Carlos Ramirez uh, Rosa comes on the show a lot, too, from the northwest side of Chicago. In other words, she when it gets to the issue, just the flat political issue of defunding the police, uh, she recognizes that it's, it's an exceedingly unpopular issue in many corners of Chicago, uh, despite the fact that there are people who really passionately believe in it, like Alderman uh, Ramirez Rosa. And so I that's in its own way a signal, political signal that she's sending out, uh, Alderman Lopez, that whether she gives you credit or not, whether she likes you or not, she is with you on this particular issue. Don't you agree? I think she dreams about me in her sleep. <laughs> um, but I think she's also trying to play it both ways, too. You're trying to send a signal to the to the more conservative folks on the council, like myself and the northwest, southwest side aldermen, that, you know, you're standing there with our police officers. But at the same time, you're trying to send a, a signal to the, the more left, more liberal and socialist members of the council saying, well, look, see, I cut out. 650 out of a thousand sworn police positions so i am decreasing their numbers you know she's playing a very dangerous game of trying to have it both ways uh and we're going to see how that shakes out because one side will be obviously less happy than the other and they're going to be more vocal and i don't know if it's going to help her get any votes to help pass this budget uh particularly if that shell game becomes more and more obvious dennis play the next clip we propose taking a modest amount from our rainy day fund in the amount of 30 million. And to be clear, folks, we are not experiencing merely a rainy day. It is truly a rainy season. And therefore, we must continue to be prudent and cautious. This virus is very unpredictable. 
And we can ill afford to materially deplete our reserves now, particularly when it is far from clear that the folks in Washington, D.C. will ever be able to rise above their partisan divide. The rainy day fund. Uh, help us out here, Alderman. What is the we had fun with this in the first part of the show with the live show. We were funny. With the, who who the rainy day fund? Just case there's only 30 million in the I didn't even know they had a rainy day fund. So what is the rainy day fund? Your favorite mayor, Rahm Emanuel, started the rainy day fund to help the city of Chicago. Uh, should there be a, a situation where it needed to have quick access to money? separate from the reserve fund, which is almost a billion dollars. So, you know, when the mayor says, you know, that we're doing fiscal restraint to address by use it tapping into the rainy day fund, but we won't deplete it, she's actually doing the, that in its entirety because the rainy day fund only has about $30 million in it, and she's taking every last dollar of it because city council has allocated $5 million every year for the last six years into this fund, and now we will be at zero. I see. So we have officially depleted the rainy day. I did not know. You know, I thought I knew everything about everything. I did not know that Mayor Rahm has set up a rainy day fund. Uh, so thank you one more time, Mayor Rahm, for nothing. All right, D. Uh, I think we had required the whole bottle for that to go down. Yes, it was a whole bottle uh, for me to fall for that. All right, D, play the next one. We propose making a $7 million investment in our ongoing economic recovery efforts. In line with the recommendations of our Economic Recovery Task Force, the first comprehensive recovery plan published by an American city. We propose making an additional $1.7 million investment to support our youth programs on top of the 2020 programs already funded. We will continue to make a $10 million investment in funding for housing and homelessness prevention. And meanwhile, there is also an additional $52 million in 2021 CARES Act funding that will go towards housing assistance and homelessness prevention and support. All right. This is an attempt. Uh, all mayors do this, even when they have bad news about budget cuts uh, and uh, the need to raid the rainy day fund. There's always an effort to assure the people of the city of Chicago that they are looking out for their basic interests. And this is the section of the speech where she does that. Your thoughts about this uh, portion of the speech, Alderman Lopez. Well, I think there's nothing really spectacular about the fund, the dollar amount she's talking about. I mean, $7 million in recovery funds for an economy that's lost almost $200 million is nothing. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to be a slap in the face. I mean, that's what one store, that doesn't even cover the loss of Macy's on the Michigan Avenue, let alone what everyday mom and pops have lost throughout the city of Chicago. $1.7 million towards youth programs. Um, again, is really meaningless when you look at the fact that we have 300,000 students in CPS alone. I mean, that's what, $3 each that we're spending on them? <laughs> Nothing. Pittance. Um, as well as with regards to the $10 million for housing and homelessness, you know, we're not really doing anything bold right now. We're just doing enough to get a headline to say, look, I threw a little bit more here, a little bit more there. And to say you're using $52 million for CARES, you know, CARES is not her personal political piggy bank. That is not the new slush fund when it comes to stimulus dollars, even though that's how she's choosing to use it. Because what we don't see is any kind of accountability or transparency where that CARES dollars is being used in a way that is fair and equitable on all things related to the city of Chicago. Because what she has yet to do with 
as it relates to housing in particular, is address how some of the COVID-19 restrictions that city council has voted for, how they are impacting our small landlords who are now dealing with tenants who refuse to pay. And we're making no accommodations for rental assistance to go directly to property owners as opposed to tenants who are getting grants and are not paying their landlords despite being told that that is what they have to do. And when you say landlords, you're talking about a uh, landlord like a, who rents out the first floor of his or her two flat. You're not talking about a giant l- landlord who owns that's a hundred unit building. No, I'm yeah. not. Ta- I'm talking about the stereotypical Chicago two or three flat where you have probably a senior or a family on one floor that owns the property and they're trying to rent out the other unit or two to help augment. You know, those individuals are hurting right now. And I get stories every week from my residents where individuals are owed tens of thousands of dollars in rent because people have taken full advantage of the fact that we are in a pandemic. And every time there's a pronouncement that we are not doing evictions or that we're doing programs to help people pay their bills, the one bill that everyone seems to skip is rent. Mm. Yeah. Uh, all right, D. Uh, play. How many more do we have? Uh, we, got, lost track. we got one more clip. One more clip. And this is all. Yeah. I think this is my favorite clip of all. All right, all right D. Here it is. It Here it is. I want an answer. It's not something <laughs> oh, Wait. Sorry, that was the wrong clip. <laughs> wrong clip. Sorry about that. No, we got one more. We got one more. Here it is. We will begin again to aggressively surplus TIF. We'll add a net of $33.5 million to our corporate fund. <clears throat> and yes, we seek a modest property tax increase of $93.9 million. Now, some had predicted that this budget would be predicated on hundreds of millions of new property tax dollars. Not so. And for the average Chicago home valued at $250,000, you will pay just 56 additional dollars for the whole year. That's right. Just 56 new dollars per year. (laughs) And while we will keep advocating in D.C. for our fair share of new stimulus funding, we will also keep a watch on Springfield. Now, to our partners in Springfield, as I have said before, we're in this together. We've done great things together already in my short time in office. And I know that we can work together to fully fund the local government distributed fund and avoid sending this city or any others unfunded mandates. All right. A lot to unpack there, uh, Alderman. Property tax, TIF fund, uh, slush fund rating, and uh, an appeal to Springfield. Uh, Let's take it in that order. We'll start with the property tax. Only $93 Only $93 million. Go ahead, Alderman. You know, when, when I hear this and when I hear it again for the second time and I'm reading her speeches or I'm listening to it, you know what comes to mind? Charlie Brown trying to kick the football from Lucy and getting it yanked right before he kicks it and, he, you know, falling flat on his back. Because that's exactly what's going on here. We're not being truthful with taxpayers to say that only only $94 million in property taxes are all you're going to need moving forward. What she didn't mention is the Lori forever tax that she's also including in this budget, which means every year moving forward, the property tax increase on the city of Chicago will be automatic based on inflation, regardless of what the city council says. She doesn't mention that she's including that part moving forward in perpetuity. Additionally, you know, 
to say that, you know, no taxes are going up, your taxes are still going up. Your assessments are still going up and you're still having to pay into a TIF that you're surplusing just to get the money back, period. So it's not it's really disingenuous to say that, you know, you're not charging hundreds of millions of dollars in property taxes when, in fact, you are taxing people to that extent. Um, Alongside the fact that you've just said you're going to raise, you know, $134 million in other taxes and fees right off the bat, including charging for Internet access and connectivity. So when you Netflix and chill, you're going to have to spend 9% of your money to do it. Um, All of this is just, you know, kicking the can even further, because as you look to see what we talk, what we're talking about now, you know, a lot of this is debt restructuring, refinancing and pushing it off for another 30 years. What we don't mention is the fact that her 2020 budget, the budget that we exist in right now, was $799 million short. That's how much we missed the mark this year because of COVID and lost revenue, almost $800 million. And the way that she was able to negotiate, uh, negate all of that was quite literally by refinancing and reissuing bonds for another 30 years so we don't have to pay the bill today. Kicking the can is exactly what some of those former independent progressive people that used to be on your show were all against. <laughs> and now yeah. here we are sitting in the big chair doing the exact same damn thing. Yeah. And when we're looking at this, we have to remember that those cans are going to come to a head at some point. And you can't keep kicking them down the road and telling people that, look, I've only had to do this by not telling people how much you're borrowing to make that be- that budget balanced. And that, I think, is going to be the big question as we move forward, because she honestly did not generate enough revenue or enough property taxes to live to have Chicago's government live within its budgetary means. We're still borrowing more to cover things that we can no longer afford based on our taxes alone. And the other thing too, Ben, which nobody talks about is that you'll remember that at the start of COVID when all of our major, our major industries took a hit, restaurants, hotels, air, uh, aviation, tourism as a whole took mm-hmm. a hit. The mayor said that they accounted for 25% of our budget, economically sensitive taxes were hit. We have seen almost no money from that category this year and probably are not going to see it anytime soon next year. But this budget is based on the assumption that those revenues will, in fact, be there starting January 1. Who the F are we really kidding here? We're actually going to have that money when we start. Because I don't think that the tourism industry is going to pop up like this. Rick Bayless is already saying I might be closed by winter. You know, if he can't even make it anymore, what does that tell you about where all those taxes are going to be coming from, particularly from the downtown district, which already had a surcharge just for being downtown and for being an attraction, an attraction now that nobody wants to go to? Yeah. No, I I share your sense <laughs> of desperation. Now I need to drink the vodka just to get through the day. Because what you're saying is is absolutely true. And I think Lori Lightfoot, if she was really being honest, and just the three of us talking honestly, would be agreeing with you. And in defense of Lori Lightfoot, in defense of everyone in the Chicago City Council for that matter, this pandemic is no joke. I say this all the time. It's a blow, not just to our city, but to the entire country. And the notion that we can just sort of like use the same old uh, budget gimmicks 
that Rom used and Daly used uh, Alderman at this critical time is sort of insulting the intelligence of of Chicagoans. I'm with you 100% on that one. I teased her relentlessly at the first part of the show for doing it. I'm not sure that any other mayor would have done any other differently. They they don't want to raise property taxes, okay? Um, They don't want any more than they're already raising them, I'm going to say. They... Springfield's broke. So the notion of appealing to Springfield is a joke. Really, this is a punt, Alderman. And I'll go back to it in the hopes that Joe Biden wins in November. Because if Joe Biden doesn't win in November, I don't see how Chicago is going to figure a way out of this. What's your thoughts? Well, not just Joe Biden, but you'd have to take back the uh, Senate into Democratic control, too. So you have two different... You have two different branches of government you need to take over in order to get any kind of bailout that you're hoping for. And to your original assessment, yes, this is a punt because you're just doing the same old gimmicks just to get through this. I think, and I've said this countless times, Chicagoans are very resilient and they could smell BS like my grandma told me a mile away. We could have for once used this opportunity to be truthful and honest and set a new path for Chicago's government and its spending by saying, look, this is the facts. The gov- you know, all the, all the smoke and mirrors have been knocked out because COVID took them all out. There's no more hiding and lying about how we're spending, what we're raising, what we're borrowing. We can't do that anymore. This would have been the perfect opportunity to be transformative in what we do and be honest so that all of Chicago could say, look, We know it's not good. We all know that. The situation sucks. But this is the roadmap to move forward. No gimmicks, no tricks. This is what it is. We're short $3 billion. We have to borrow just to make ends meet. We're going to make a slow roll back on our budget spending so that we don't drastically impact families. And this is how we're going to get back to living within our means. We could have done that. And I think a lot of Chicagoans, if not all of Chicago, would have understood that in light of everything that's going on. One, because they've also felt it in their families. People who don't have guaranteed incomes, who have to work every day and go paycheck to paycheck, know what it's like to not know if you're going to be able to budget for more than six months because you don't know if you're still going to have that job. So you try to adjust and live in with your means. They would have understood that. They would have supported that honest discussion and we could have truly made a difference, not only in the short term, but moving forward. And I think we've missed the boat on that. What I do find to be somewhat encouraging is that for the first time, city council is going to hold the administration accountable on a quarterly basis for its spending, for its taxing and for its departments uh, with quarterly oversight moving forward for the next two years starting in January. That is a huge monumental step in governmental oversight. But I think, again, we've missed the boat because we are still too afraid to be 100 percent honest with the people of Chicago. And why we are afraid of that, I genuinely don't know, because the truth is very simple. If you and I can both see that we only have enough money to buy eight apples and not ten, we will all collectively know that we can only have eight. We're not going to try for twelve. We're not going to try for three. We know what we could do if we're honest about it together. So when you have to make those tough choices, whether you're from Hyde Park or Brighton Park, 
you're going to know the truth is the same and you're going to be able to respond and respect whatever decision is. But if you keep playing these games, you keep lying and you keep doing the song and dance, smoke and mirror, dog and pony show, whatever you want to call it, no one's going to ever believe you. And they're always still going to be suspect that there's some kind of shady maneuverings going on with the politicians playing games with our money. All right. So that leaves me uh, to the culminating question. Uh, I have a feeling, feeling I know your answer. But uh, last budget was off the top of my head. I think it was 39 to 11. Correct. Uh, wow. I can't believe I for some reason that's stuck in my head, Alderman. Uh, and you were one of the 11 that voted no, if I'm correct my memory uh, i was a very unusual coalition too as i remember there was uh lefties were part of the no votes and more the conservative members like yourself uh so this time around how do you plan the vote and what do you think uh the vote will be go well <clears throat> i don't know how i'm going to vote as of right now i know that um we just barely got the document about two hours ago so i'm trying to piece through it right now there are a number of things i already don't like um particularly seeing that 32 of my colleagues all took raises this year uh during this economic downturn um but i think that my message to the mayor would be one that if you want my vote then you had better prove to me that you've done everything possible to make this budget as efficient as possible that we spend time going through every line for every department so that we're not duplicating and overbilling our taxpayers and that we're not going to have a discussion next year that, oh, look, we magically found $400 million in efficiencies in last year's budget. Those efficiencies should be found now. And what I also want to see in this budget that I think would go a long way for me personally is that departments need metrics to ensure efficiency. I've been advocating for that for the past three years where we can see, does it cost you as much today to deliver a garbage can or get graffiti removed as it did last week, last month, last year? We have no control of our costs. We just simply blindly go and do without ever seeing if we're doing it better, cheaper, or more efficiently. And that has to change. So I think without some major structural changes, I probably won't be supportive of a budget that doesn't address any of these issues. I won't automatically say no, contrary to what everyone seems to think about me and my BFF, Lori. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. She has to listen, too. And I think the interesting thing about this budget is that this budget she presented today was crafted basically in a vacuum, in a silo of her own creation. Aldermen were brought in basically once for a briefing on a very high level um, not based the normal interactions to see what our priorities and concerns were or suggestions were for revenue or cuts. Mm. This is all Lori. So for the first time in recent memory for me, you know, this is going to be a budget where we're going to be negotiating on the fly on the floor to make it happen. Um, and for a mayor who doesn't like negotiating and who doesn't think she has to barter for support, it'll put her in a very interesting position moving forward. Well, I think she's going to have to uh, put aside her aversion to negotiating because I think this is going to be a challenge uh, to I think the old. Let me just say this. The old days, like Mayor Rahm had this obsession with he wanted 50 to nothing, which is a kind of a weird obsession. Just think about it. Like, why? What, how is that a sign of healthiness just to have everybody lockstep? I just that's put that aside. More and more, we've retreated from the notion of like a 49 to 1 or a 48 to 2. And you know what? All she needs is 25 votes because she gets to decide to be the, the 26 vote if necessary. And 
my advice to Lori Lightfoot, not that she's ever taken any advice from me, is don't worry about Rom's 48 to 2. You know what I'm saying, Ray? It just. You know, I, I think the days, especially, you know, I said that when uh, the mayor took office, is that this is going to be a coalition of the moment, whether it's for her or for those in opposition to her. And the question will be how much work is she willing to put in to create a coalition of the moment to pass her budget? And will she be able to fight against her nature? to be petty and vindictive in order to get that done. And we have to see if she's able to do that. Um, but I but I want to say one last thing with regards to votes. Let's yeah. remember, it came to her emergency powers ordinance. It was a 29 to 21. Yes. So, you know, and that was just on whether or not she should have unilateral ability to spend without consequence. Yeah, 29. It was a really interesting coalition of all kinds of people in that 21. Uh, by the way, before we close, I want to do a shameless plug for a friend of mine, uh, a movie, City So Real. And the reason I'm plugging it, uh, Steve James made this movie. And uh, Alderman, I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's dropping. Uh, on, I, forget, I think it's, I should know how to this information before I do the plug. But I, within I the next week. Facebook. I think uh, it was about the mayoral race. Yeah, you're in it. I'm in it. Yes, you are, young man. And uh, I'll just urge everybody to check it out. It's a great movie documentary about Chicago, the real deal of Chicago. And, and he followed the uh, several different candidates, including Lori Lightfoot, uh, in the 2019 mayoral election up until the runoff. He didn't do the runoff. And then he did one about the summer. And that's where you're in it. Uh, and it was one of the most moving documentaries I've seen. It just he he captured the insanity of this summer, right? I mean, this summer was crazy on so many levels. I've been locked in my house. I'm an old geezer. I'm worried about getting, I don't, I'm not like Donald Trump. I don't want it to take a bunch of steroids and try, you know what I mean? I don't want it. So I've been living in my attic for a long time, but this summer was insane. And watching the movie brought back so many memories. And part of one of the things they have in is that exchange that we have a great delight in playing you and Lori Lightfoot going at it. Uh, and uh, so I urge everybody to check it out. Uh, Alderman, I urge you to check it out. You're in it. Like I said, uh, it's a really good movie. Uh, City so real. So anyway, uh, Alderman Raymond Lopez, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. All right. Stay sober, my friends. <laughs> Good advice. Sound advice. Stay sober. Take care, everybody.